0: Well, good morning as we continue in our study of 1st Peter, please stand for the reading of God's word. This is 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. Thank you. Please be seated. So, in this study of First Peter, this uh, he's writing to the church scattered throughout Asia Minor. He refers to them as elect exiles, and as you read this book that's called a mini-systematic theology, he's preparing the people for a time of persecution and social marginalization, where they're going to be mocked and belittled for their faith and considered to be outside of societal norms. Uh, We call it a, a soft persecution, before the Diocletian persecution. So he's preparing them for a difficult time. And as he does that, he reminds them in chapter 1, really verses 1 through 12, of their standing in Christ and what the Lord has done for them. He says, for example, in verse 2, he says that these, these people, he calls them elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied or lavished upon you. In other words, you're eternally loved by the triune God. And then he says, also, you have been born again to a blessed hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So you have a a, a hope that goes beyond this life. Then he says, thirdly, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And as you look at difficult times, you say, how are we going to do this? He says, well, you are protected by the power of God through faith. So you have a a faith that protects you. And then fifthly, he says, and if and when hard times come and trials come, they will ultimately result in praise and glory and honor when Christ comes again. And you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And then sixthly, he says, the full revelation of the plan of God has been displayed in the person of Christ the glorious gospel. And these are things that angels long to look into and the Old Testament prophets long to see but you see fully. And he says because of that fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. And then he talks about the fact that they are to have a future inheritance as an incentive. And then he talks about being, living as the renewed people of God. He says love one another fervently from the heart, verse twenty-two of chapter one. Fervently from the heart, with with deep passion. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And then he, and he talks about remember, remember who you are, remember what Christ has done for you. And then he says, remember this word, this gospel is enduring forever. Verse twenty-three. He says, you've been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding Word of God. All the flesh is like grass. In his glory like the flower of the grass, that the grass will wither and the flower will fail or fall. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was spoken to you. It's such a beautiful statement. And then you get to chapter 2. And he says, as you live as a renewed people of God, be very careful that as you taste the goodness of the Lord, that you strip away, you get rid of, Malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Because you've tasted the goodness of the Lord, you go forward, and you people, he says, are living stones. You're, you're living stones, and you've been called to the Lord, and as living stones, you were to offer up uh, as a holy priesthood sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're living stones. God is changing, working in your heart by the Holy Spirit, showing you how to live. Living stones we're living stones. And he's putting us together to be a spiritual house of worship to the honor and the glory of the name of Christ and to offer sacrifices that are acceptable to the Lord. And he says this, this, this spiritual house is built on the foundation or the, or the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. He says, for you, it is a rock of beauty and glory and joy. For the world is a, a rock of offense. They stumble over him, but you're different. You're different. And we come to verses 9 and 10. But you, but you, church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once, not a people, now you are the people. You are the people of God. So, so this, this, this passage is, let me tell you, it's glorious. I mean, it's just a beautiful statement, and it just makes your heart want to sing. But it starts off with saying this. You're a chosen people. A chosen people. In the Old Testament, and in the book of, of, of Genesis, verse 18, or chapter 18, the Lord says this to, to Abraham. He says, Abraham. You shall surely be a great nation, a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in you. You go to chapter 22 of Genesis, verses 17 through 18. It says, I will surely bless you, Abraham, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So called to bless the nations of the earth. And then we go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 when the Lord speaks to his people, Israel. And he says this in chapter 7, verse 6. Listen, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord set his affection upon you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it, it was because the Lord Jehovah loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt. And so here's the promise. Through the nation of Israel and through the nation of Israel and Abraham's seed, all the nations will be blessed. And that is brought to fruition in the person and work of Christ who died on the cross, fulfilling the Old Testament sacrificial law and the once for all sacrifice. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church at Pentecost. And men and women from many tribes, tongues, people, of the nations spoke the word of God in their own language. And God did a new and glorious thing. So now we are, we are the new people of God. We are Israel fulfilled. We are the the new people of God. So the new people of God, the old wine of ethnic orientation, is replaced by the new wine of the gospel of grace for all the nations. And so we read in the book of Revelation, this statement. In Revelation chapter 7, talks about worship in glory. And it says this, verses 9 and 10. Listen. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then verses 13 and 14. And And and, and then the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In, in, In heaven, you wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb, but they're clean white. These are the new people of God, the people that God has brought unto Himself from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And I, I read that, and then I go to Romans chapter two, and this just this this is this is amazing. Please try to try to get this. Romans is written by a guy named Paul. Okay, Paul is a was trained in the most extreme form of Pharisaism, and the Pharisees were the purity party. The Pharisees said. God may may have made all the people, but really the Jews are just more special than everybody else. And really, among all the Jews, there are Pharisees who are even more important than the rest of the Jews. And among the Pharisees, there are the strict Pharisees who are really on the travel squad, and they ride the bus around the stadium and go down the hill. But they're the only ones that do that. See, so Paul says, you know, I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. When he came came to keeping the law, I was faultless. Man, I was the man. So he's trained to think, we're better, we're better, we're better, we're better. We're at the top of the heap. That's the way he's been trained to think. And so when he writes this, and what I'm going to read to you now, it is an absolutely mind-boggling statement. I want you to get that. And it, it just shows the greatness of the gospel. This is what he says. Romans chapter 2. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. Gentiles. All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, Jews. For if, verse 17, for if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve of His what is excellent, if you consider yourself to be a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the children. Let me ask you a question, he says. You who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you ever steal? The answer is yes. You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you ever commit adultery in word or action or thought? Yes. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law, For it is written, the name of the Lord is blasphemed among you. And then he says, he writes this in verse 28 and 29. This is absolutely astounding. This is the Pharisee, train, 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 top of the heap. Listen. For one, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly through through circumcision. On the eighth day. That's physical. But a true Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Holy Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from man, but from God. He says, our stuff, boom, not important. He said it's of the heart, it's from the Spirit, it's centered on the person of Christ. It's an amazing statement. It's mind-boggling, really. When you think about about Paul's background, therefore, you go to Ephesians chapter 2. I know I'm reading a lot of verses, but I want you to get this. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, Jew and Gentile are now one. One. Jew and Gentile. There's no division wall between them because the cross has destroyed any division between the Jews and the ethnoi or the nations. One. One people of God. Then verse 19 of chapter 2, consequently or therefore, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Chosen people. Israel completed to bless the nations. Two years, three years ago, I was at a conference and got to know this gregarious, gracious very bright man named Joel Kim. Joel Kim is a president of Westminster Seminary West in California. Just full of laughter, full of joy. Um, so we had lunch together. I said, "I said, I said, Joel, who's a PhD in church history from Calvin College, very bright guy. I mean, really bright guy." I said, "You're from California. Help me think through the issues of." of race and reconciliation. Help me think. And just let me give you this background. California today is 42% white, 31% Hispanic, 15% Asian, 6.5% African American, 1.8% Native American, and 0.5% Pacific Islander. Those are the major groups. So I said, help help me think through this. And this this guy is... uh, his family suffered horribly in the Korean War. They were able to come to the U.S. when he was nine with nothing on their backs except their clothes. Nothing but their clothes. And they made um, economic living for themselves and they raised their children in the way of the Lord and they've been a blessing to many people. It's a wonderful story. And he said, well, let me, let me say this. So I, I preach everywhere. President of a seminary. And I'll preach in a lot of white churches. And he said in Oftentimes, people from the majority culture say to me, Brother, Dr. Kim, when we look at you, we don't see a a Korean. We see a brother in the Lord. He said, so far, so good. And then they say this, he says. Then they say, you know, God is color blind. And he said, he laughed. He said, but let me tell you something. That is very offensive to me. Very offensive. And he said, and it should be to you. I said, I didn't say to him what I was thinking, because what I was thinking is, I've said that a good bit. And I didn't want to confess that to him. So I just sat there and smiled and nodded. He said, God made me Korean. My parents are Korean. They've, they're wonderful people. We should rejoice and be glad in our background, our ethnicity, so, so, because God is not God, made us and placed us where we are in our family unit, in our situation. But realize this: that that the ultimate identification is indeed Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I, I thought. I thought you know, I am I am glad. So I I'm I'm thankful for my my background. Scott Irish, Western North Carolina. Uh, mountain people basically from Scotland and Ireland, and, and Ireland really. And um, I, I'm glad for that. I, I, I do covet, to be honest with you, a British accent. I wish I'd been, could somehow, instead of this, t- this hillbilly twang, I wish I could speak like a Brit. I, I just like that. But, but I've, I've got a constant, as I am thankful for my heritage and rejoice in that, I need to always say to myself, but my primary identification in my ethnoi, I'm a chosen person in the household of God. See, when my ethnicity, as, as a believer, as, as, if my ethnicity is a higher motivation than my identity with Jesus Christ, I need to go deeper into the light. See, when, when, when ethnicity is paramount and you're not governed by a higher continent. Isn't tell you what happens historically. Potentially. When your ethnicity is supreme, you have what happened in India in 1947. 1947, partition, part of the Indian subcontinent on the east and the west were declared to be Muslim areas and the subcontinent primarily Hindu. And so 14 million people were displaced. Up to, we think, 2 million people were butchered. Killed. Because there is a controlling authority was released with nothing to undergird true living. See, when our controlling authority is released, who, who do you see? You see Jesus. You see a passion for the gospel, a love for the nations. But you, you see, So, in our own lifetime, 1994, a little country, a little country right in the central eastern part of Africa called Rwanda. 10 million people. 10 million people. The the, 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 the Hutus, Hutt, who were 85%, rose up against the, the Tutsis. And, and in, in 10 days, 800,000 people were butchered because ethnicity became the, crying, the cry of their hearts. And, and, and they didn't kill 800,000 by dropping bombs. They killed them with machetes. They didn't have rifles. They killed them with machetes as they cried out, kill the cockroaches. Our lifetime, most of us. Or you have the neo-Nazi movement or whatever. So, so what I'm saying is if, if I am more proud of my ethnicity than I am the glory of the gospel of Christ, I need to go further in the light and I need to repent. I think a little gospel hymn from about years and years and years ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his marvelous face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So if you see Christ, then 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 these issues we can rejoice in this and be glad. But these issues grow dim, dim in the light of His glory and grace. C.S. Lewis, there's a quote in the bulletin. There's another point three. A wonderful book called The Four Loves. Lewis died in 1963. Taught English literature at Oxford. He wrote this shortly after World War II, and it's very humorous, but boy, he makes a great point. He says, This I once ventured to say to an old clergyman or pastor who was voicing this sort of patriotism, but sir, aren't we told that every people thinks its own men the bravest and its own women the fairest in the world? He replied with total gravity. He could not have been graver if he had been saying the creed at the altar, the Apostles' Creed. Yes, but in England, it's true. And then Lewis says this, to be sure, this conviction had not made my friend, God rest his soul, a villain. Only an extremely lovable old ass. It can't, ha- can't said, as, as in a donkey. It can, however, produce asses that kick and bite. On the lunatic fringe it may shade off into that popular racialism which Christianity and science equally forbid. Speaking, I think, primarily of the Nazis in Germany. They can can kick and bite. We've, We've seen it. So I'm saying church, chosen People. My identification primarily must be in the glory of Christ. Now, once a year, I have the opportunity of going to North Africa and teaching at a regional seminary. And there are men and women from five countries in North Africa that come to the seminary. The poorest nation among those nations is a country called Mauritania. Mauritania is on the west coast. 90% of the country is the Sahara Desert, 4.8 million on the Human Development Index scale in the, with the United Nations, is like 150 out of 162 countries poor. It's the Islamic Republic of Mauritania. 99.5% of the people there supposedly are Muslim. The church is like 0.3%, 0.3%, it's, just, it's short, it's small. But, but at this class, uh, Last January, these, these guys were there from Mauritania. Now, they're considered to be the lowest of the low on the pecking order in North Africa. Got the Berbers and the Arabs, and they're way down here. Slavery still exists in Mauritania, believe it or not. These are three guys. The guy on the left uh, always wore a very thick coat and a stocking cap, and it was 75 degrees. And, uh, you know, you talk to him, you realize well, they're from the Sahara Desert. 75 to them is bitterly cold. You know, he lived in the Sahara Desert, but uh, he spoke incredibly good English. He had worked for an English company in the in Africa. The other two guys spoke no English. Uh, One of them was a principal. The other was a pastor. They're all elders in churches. I loved these guys. I mean, I hung out with them. I had this guy translate. We prayed in groups together. They were just delightful. Uh, they, they had, two of them had to get on a bus at, or go eight hours to get to an airport to fly from one airport to the major airport in their country and then fly from that airport to Tunisia. I mean, it was a two-day ordeal to get to where they were in this seminary. And they, they were fun. They had a great sense of humor. I used, when I was teaching, I would tell jokes, and all, they were all, always the punchline, and they loved it. They would, you know, hit each other in the back. And really, I think they appreciated my sense of humor much more than you guys do. And... Uh, so but they, they were, when we sang and we sang these, we sang songs in, in Arabic, they did. I just kind of hummed. I would stand beside them because they, they were full-orbed, and I just loved these guys. Had lunch with them. We would communicate. Even though they could speak English, know English, this guy would have to translate. We, we really understood each other as brothers in the Lord. And I, I just, it was so good. I, so I compare that with the, the dreaded family reunions that happen every two or three years. And, and you go to your family reunions. And, and you meet cousins that you haven't seen in two or three years. And many of them are not believers. And so you see them, and you say, how are you doing? Doing fine. How's your health? See, I, I talk all the time, so I'm pretty good at conversation. How's your health? Well, how are the kids? If you're married, how, how, how's, how's work? And then you think, do you like do you like football? No. Oh gosh. Okay. Um, have you seen Down Nabby the movie? No. I'm done. I'm in ten minutes. I'm done. I'm, I'm serious. And so you, there's this uncomfortable silence as you eat food and then you then you leave. Never with these guys. I could spend five days with them talking. In sign language. Because we're brothers in the Lord. Uh, how's your family? How's it, how, how's it, what's it like to be persecuted in Mauritania? How, what's the lifestyle like? I mean, what, what, what are you doing? What's the future of the church? Are you encouraged? What are you studying the Word? What are you teaching in your church? How, how, how is it? What's it? What are the marriage barriers in, in your culture that, 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 that just, how can we help you there? No, no. these are my people, not my cousins. These are my people. And you say, "Well, you're a pastor." No, this is normal. Read the scripture. You are a chosen people. These are my people. I get together believers, and I just thought, man, this is glorious. Now we need to love non-believers and love cousins and think of things to talk about. I know, but don't, don't miss this. Do not miss this. This happened this week, and I I read about it, and it absolutely took my breath away. Um, There was in Dallas, Texas, you've probably read about it. I haven't followed it that much. I've just kind of read some headlines a few months ago, a woman came home, white, went to her apartment complex, went off, went to the wrong floor, thought she was going to her apartment, the door is ajar. She goes in, there's a man sitting on the couch eating ice cream, African American, and she pulls out a revolver and she kills him. And uh, after a lengthy trial, she's found guilty of manslaughter. And she's sentenced. An African-American judge sentenced her. Female. And at the sentencing, the family of the man who had been killed was able to make a statement. And so this man's younger brother so is live on, live on ABC News. I mean, just unbelievable. Live, ABC News. This brother says to this woman, police former police officer, obviously, he says... I wish you didn't have to go to prison. I want you to know that we forgive you. And we love you. I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version. And then he said this. If you want to honor my brother, I would plead with you to give your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. <laughs> and then he said some other things. And then he kind of looked down. He looked up at the judge and he said, Do you mind if I hug her? And I'm going... And they hug. Please Google it. It's not one of these. I'm going to hug you because I'm uncomfortable hugs. They both embraced each other, weeping, spoke to each other. They broke away, looked at each other, hugged again, spoke to each other back. I mean, it was it was four different hugs that lasted at least five to ten seconds. It was powerful. It was absolutely unbelievable. I, 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 I thought this—this this, this is it. We're the people of God. Secondly, he says you're—you're—you're you're, you're a royal priesthood. Now, in the Old Testament, you had Moses' brother Aaron. Aaron and his descendants were the priestly order, and the priestly order, or the Levites would offer sacrifices for the sin of the people. They were the mediators between a sinful people and a holy God. And once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, only once a year, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And and there's a sense in Exodus 19 that he says that this whole nation is a royal priesthood, but these people were especially the priesthood. And and so you, you read that, and you go to this, and really, Christ tabernacled in his flesh, the eternal God, and he was the ultimate authoritative high priest who once and for all dealt with our sin. Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read a few verses. Hebrews chapter 10, first of all, in verse 4 or 5, it says this. Yeah. It says that it is impossible for the blood of bulls or goats to make one's sin go away. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. So Christ became the Lamb of God who took away our sin. And, and so you read in verse 11. It says this: For every high priest stands at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time that his enemies would be made a footstool. For, for by a single offering. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Once and for all, for all time, single sacrifice, Christ alone. So, so this, the priestly function has been fulfilled in the person of Christ. I love dogs. So... Um. I, I refuse to go see a movie that has a dog in it because the dog always dies. And I at least said, so I just, I just, nope, dog in it, not going to see it. I, I would love to have a dog. My wife will not let me have a dog. Um, she says, we travel too much and the neighbor next door does not like dogs and he would not treat our dog very nicely. But if I could have a dog... I would get a lab. A big lab. Not not one of these one of these, you know, the the doodle dogs, the cockadoodle or whatever you call them, the doodle dogs don't the new dog that's so trendy. I, I, don't, I don't like those dogs. I mean they the big poodles. I just don't like big poodles. But man, labs. Lab. I get, I get two labs. And just to remind me of this, I would name them this. Alone? and once for all. Come on in alone, it's time to eat. You're saved by Christ alone, through the work of the cross alone, to the glory of God alone. Alone, because you you, you forget, I don't wanna forget. Or once for all, or single, you know, I'm single. Once for all, one single sacrifice, God has made us right. So so this is who we are. We are a royal priesthood, that's what I'm saying. We're royal priesthood. We've been talking about this. Let me just throw it out. We have what we call your three, three people that you know in your circles of influence who are unchurched or you know they're not believers. And and I'm saying, you are a royal priesthood. You represent the living God to people without the living Christ. So you write down their names. You pray for them. And by... Easter, which is, I think, April the 12th, 2020, you will have spoken the name of Christ to them. You will. You, you, you not just lived it out, but you've spoken it to them. You, you've lived it out and spoken. it. That's, that's what we should be doing, church. And God forbid that we don't preach the gospel. And I plead with you, if you're not a believer this morning, hear this message. Christ is the only mediator between God and man. He died on the cross for your sins with a real physical body and real shed blood and he rose from a real grave on Easter Sunday with resurrection power with a body we are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light thirdly he says we are a holy nation holy nation a people belonging to God I love my country. I do. And I'm at a parade and I hear a marching band and I see old glory go by with a color guard. Man, my heart swells with joy. We have an Air Force base close to here. And occasionally when our kids were growing up, a plane would fly overhead. And I would always catechize them with this statement. You hear that sound? Yeah, daddy. That is the sound of freedom. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. A couple of examples. By and large, I think of episodes in our country's history where we have had valiant I read a book a couple months ago about the Revolutionary War with George Washington. And I... I didn't realize the brutality of the Revolutionary War that our, 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 the colonial soldiers received and put into to ships and left to rot, basically. Our, the Hessians, Germans hired by King George III to come here and fight against the, the, the Americans were, were, were brutal. And, and they had a rule, take no prisoner. They would, just, they would kill people in the field, the Hessians. And the colonial people hated the Hessians. And then on Christmas night, 1776, George Washington goes across the Delaware, surprises this Hessian army, uh, kills a couple of hundred in the battle, but takes 900 prisoners. And, and the troops start chanting, take no quarter, or, or take no prisoners. And Washington says, no, we will treat these men with dignity. In fact, they had, they had a supper for the officers of the Hessians, and they buried their commander who was killed with full honors, and they escorted these men into the interior and sent them back to Germany. I thought, wow. Stephen Ambrose, one of my favorite writers about World War II, writes about the the fall of Germany, and Germany is, is being decimated, and the Soviets are coming in from the east, and the Americans from the west, and the Brits, primarily the Americans, and he said this, he said, he said, The Germans were fleeing from the Soviets because to meet the Soviets, who had lost 20 to 23 million people, by the way, to meet the Soviets meant death, murder, rape, and destruction. To meet the Americans, with, with the sections, but by and large, to meet the Americans meant chewing gum, chocolate, and Tobacco. And safety. Now, today it would be what, kale, fat for yogurt, and kombucha juice. I don't know, but I man. But, but that, that, those were all good things then. Now we go, ooh, no, it's good things then. But I mean, I remember reading that, Stephen Ambrose, and then historically, you can't argue with that, and tears flooded my eyes. So I'm thankful. And I also would say very quickly these troops that were fighting valiantly were. There were other troops here and other troops here, and the army was totally segregated. So we had a long long way to go. We had Asian, Japanese troops and African-American troops and these guys. I love my country. Hear me. If my primary identity is love for country or a political party or a school, I need to go deeper into Christ. Christ must be preeminent. I am, you are, part of a holy nation. Now, I went to this school. I'm very thankful for the Citadel. I've met and loved and many, many cadets and professors through the years that have blessed my life. I love my school. Now, my school, the Citadel, has an alma mater. And, it's, you know, every school has an alma mater. Some of them are kind of embarrassing. Ours is really pretty good. So let me just rehearse my alma mater with you and tell you where I'm going with it. It goes like this. O Citadel, we praise thy name for all the world to hear. No. We sing thy fame for all the world to hear. And in the paths our fathers showed us follow without fears. Peace and honor. God and country. We will fight for thee. O citadel, we praise thee now and in eternity. So, I, 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 man, I can hang with that until the last line. So you're standing there, you know, you're, you're saluting and you're singing this. And whenever we get to the last line and in eternity, I just start laughing. I'm just, I, get, I start chuckling. I don't be disrespectful, but I'm standing there. And I'm thinking, you know, Revelation 7. A vast host of people that no one can number from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Resurrection bodies, which means we have perfect sight and we're celebrating. And because we have perfect sight, we're looking to the lamb that was slain. And as we look to the lamb that was slain, the Lord Christ, we can see the nail prints in his hand that held him to the cross so that I would not have to go to judgment. And you see the nail prints in his feet where he was held on the cross. You see the, 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 the spear print from his side. And you see his, 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 his forehead that's been crushed with a crown of thorns. And it is glorious. And you're singing and you're rejoicing and you're so glad. And you lean over to someone next you say, hey, buddy. I've just been thinking how wonderful the citadel was. <laughs> really? And in eternity? No, I don't think so. Hey, remember, If hey, remember, you ever heard about this thing? It happened in January 2017, number four through to number 13 national championship. I don't think so. Oh, I, January 2019, 44 to 16. I don't think so. You what I'm saying? Churches said, I want to live that way now. I want to be a holy nation now. I want to be Christ-centered now. I want to be a royal priest now. That's the normal Christian life. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His glorious face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His wandering grace. I'm gonna pray for us, so I'm gonna ask you to pray for a few things. Thanks for being here. This this is a great passage though. Whew. Lord, we thank you for today, and we want to stop now. And as those of us who are praying who are the people of God by the work of Christ, we want to just cry out to you, God have mercy upon us. We want to just silently pray for the for three people, the two or three people that are on our heart, in our family, or our neighborhood, in our office, who are unchurched, who don't know you. And if they were to die today, they'd go in eternity of judgment. And Lord, we want to represent you to them and tell them about a shepherd who died on the cross for their sin. So we pray for them now. Lord, we pray that you would make us keenly aware that our primary identity is not our ethnicity, our, our geographic location, our familial heritage, our political parties. And we, we thank you for giving us. And ethnicity—it's beautiful. The mosaic of humanity is a beautiful thing, but God, forgive us for ever thinking that our ethnicity should be primary. Help us to be people who boldly say, with grace and dignity, that we are a chosen people by the virtue by virtue of the cross of Jesus. I pray we'd be a royal priesthood in, in proclaiming Christ to those around us. Lord, please let us do that. Oh, and make us a holy nation. God, we thank you that many of us have, are Americans, most of us. It's a land of opportunity. But forgive us for ever wrapping our Bibles in the flag. Forgive us for ever thinking that we are the best. As C.S. Lewis says, uh, if, if you it may, it may make us a misguided, lovable person, but that type of attitude can kick and destroy. We don't want that. May Christ be preeminent in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.